Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. Good, good, good. Lindsay, she's not here, but did you hear what Lindsay said? Did anyone catch it? When Lindsay spoke during the middle of the worship thing, she said something, I I don't want to misquote her, so I'll say it's along the lines of, but it was along the lines of, don't worry about your life. Don't be worried about your circumstances. God is God above all of your circumstances. I thought, the assurance that comes from knowing that God is God above all of your circumstances, that's basically, that was my message. So I could spare you half an hour just now, but I'm not like that. Anyway, what, what you've probably seen behind me, I put on, I have this terrible habit, and I should get out of it, where I wake up in the morning, I grab my phone, I switch on Facebook. Only because no one else is awake and there's no one else to talk to. It's not because I'm completely addicted. <laughs> but I saw this. And at first, after I got over the, have you read it? I'll read it out. It says, take the red pill to restart your life at age 10 with all the knowledge you have now. And take the blue pill to jump to 45 years old with $50 million in the bank. And after I got over the shock of the outrageous ageism in that statement... Imagine assuming that 45 years old was a big jump. Anyway, after I got over that, I thought, oh, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's dead simple. I'd lose virtually no time off my life. I'd have all the knowledge that I've already got, and I'd get 50 million quid. That sounds easy, eh? But then I thought about it a bit longer, and I thought, mm, well, actually, there is a wee bit of depth in it, even though it's just a Facebook thing. Because if you think about it, it's about how you approach life. and You know are you more motivated by opportunity, which would be the red pill, or security, which would be the blue pill? So, ah, there's a wee bit of depth in that, maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway, it got me thinking. What could you do if you could hit, like, a restart button on your life? And the other thing is, it's a, it's a wee link into the scripture that I'm going to read today. So, without further ado, the scripture, which I'm going to, is Luke 19. If you're taking notes, take a note of this and go back and read it later. But by all means, follow me on the screen behind and I'll just read it out. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot and he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Does anybody here have it all sussed? Does anybody here have all the answers? 
please, I'm lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, I've been found, as we church people call it, for about 20 years now. Yet there's still days where I can feel lost. I was reliably informed by Joe a few years back that I was officially middle-aged. I don't believe her. And don't let the hashtags behind me fool you. I've got no idea how Twitter works. They're just there as decoration and to add some sort of subliminal message to the themes that I'll be talking about today. I don't know how it all works. It's just a thing. Anyway, the older I get, it seems the less I understand the world. It seems to me that everything is unnecessarily complicated and we've got most things backwards. Procedures, guidelines, protocols, monitoring loops. We spend more time at work proving that we've done things than actually doing things. We go out for dinner and we spend more time photographing our food than we do eating it. We spend more time talking about our children than actually sitting and listening to them. We've become slaves to the devices that we made to serve us. We've got the lowest crime rates in history, yet we've got the highest prison populations. We obsess about our rights, and yet we have no notion of taking personal responsibility. There's always a reason why we did something, and it was never our fault. We long for freedom, yet we cling to security. We're told that we've never lived longer, never been safer, never been more affluent, never had more opportunities, yet one in 13 of us, and that statistically that's about a dozen people in this room, one in 13 of us suffer from depression and anxiety, yet we've never had it so good. You just need to drive through, this is unbelievable, but you just need to drive through a primary school car park to know that tension and frustration and rage are simmering just below the surface of a great number of us. It's commonplace these days for people to explode at complete strangers for the slightest offence. And do not venture ever onto an internet forum. Especially not on a Saturday night after your team's just lost. Which I don't have to do these days. But something's amiss. Something's not quite right. And how am I supposed to make sense of my life when I've lost the thread? How am I supposed to find a route through? Far less guide my children. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. From what I can understand, the world my kids are grown into, indeed the one that they're already in, is even more confusing and difficult to understand than the reality that I'm stuck in. Peer pressure, endless distraction, approval addiction, harvesting likes, collecting followers, and on and on and on. More connected, but more isolated than ever before. Everything's getting faster, but everything's meaningless. A few months ago, I heard my then three-year-old express the deepest frustration at a dip in broadband speed because his iPad became, in his words, too laggy. First word they probably ever spoke. Surely there's a simple set of rules that I can download that's going to keep us all on the right path. Surely there's something I can Google. If only there was some sort of manual, a book maybe, manufacturer's instructions. Anybody? 
<laughs> Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Those of us who have been around churches for a while have heard and read and seen many sermons and talks. I've heard and I've seen dozens of sermons with the title, How to Get Out of the Boat. You need to get out of the boat. Dozens of articles and podcasts and seminars are on this theme. It seems that Christians as a sector of society have particular difficulty with disembarking waterborne transportation. But with an insider bit of knowledge here, I know that this is actually spiritual shorthand for walking by faith, for fixing our eyes on Jesus, for putting our faith fully into him. It's a powerful image. It's an enduring metaphor. I did a search on Sermon Central. That's just one of the things I do for fun these days. And I typed the words, get out. And the pages again filled up with listings from dozens of writers helping us to get out of the boat. There was the occasional get out of jail, one about getting out of the desert, and another one getting out of your cave. But nothing on the subject that's closest to my heart, which I'm going to talk about today. How to get out your tree. It's the answer to all of life's problems. And judging by the Facebook statuses I've read this weekend, it's still as popular in society as it ever was. So I know I'm preaching into fertile soil. It's in our, it's in our psyche collectively. And I'll come back to that later. The other thing, though, that social media shows us is how good we are at putting on filters. How good we are at faking it. From the outside, everything can look great, but on the inside, it can all be falling apart, and we can't always understand why. This is the generation who have everything, yet many of us feel like we're nothing. We're lacking direction, we're lacking value, we're lacking hope. And I've come to realize that just following the rules and getting it right isn't enough. There's always something else to attain. Circumstances and situations constantly change. The rules which made sense yesterday no longer make sense today. So in order to approach ever-changing externals, we need to be fixed and steady internally. It's not behavior modification that we need. It's complete transformation. Assured of who we are, assured of whose we are, and certain of where we're going. So rather than simply read an instruction manual, what we need is we need to know the author and know and really know what he thinks of us. And this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. If our internal life is secure, the external things will fall in behind all of that. So today I'm going after one thing, and it's the same thing that the enemy of our souls would also go after. And it's our self-esteem. I read an article by a pastor called Bruce Ball. And for me, this guy, this guy nails it. He says, one of your greatest needs in life is to feel valuable. That your life matters. And that you are worthwhile. Because of this, 
you'll find yourselves looking around and comparing yourself to other people. In our society, we tend to base our self-worth, our self-image on four things. I've got my numbers wrong there. Four things. We judge our worth on our appearance. That's the first thing we do. We judge on appearance. How do, how, how do I look? The better I look, the more I'm worth in other people's eyes. More I'm worth in my eyes. Then we judge by our achievement. Are we worthy because of our achievements? What have I accomplished? Am I successful? If I'm successful, then they'll accept me. And I will be worthy. And then the third one is, we judge our worth on approval. If I'm liked, how well am I liked? If I'm liked, if people like me, I must be okay. And I will be worthy. And then lastly, we judge our worth on our affluence, on our wealth. Do I have enough things? If so, people will accept me as their equals and I will be worthy. The problem with these four standards is that none of them last. They will all change. Appearances change with time. Some of us get better looking. Records will be broken. Achievements will be beaten. Achievements will be forgotten. Popularity will fade and wealth can be lost. So if we let these four factors determine our self-esteem, our self-esteem will always be changing and we'll never know where we stand. We'll stay lost. If we want to build our self-esteem and to make it last, we've got to build it on something that won't change. And there's only one thing that won't change. There's only one thing that lasts and that's God. What what we need to understand is, and when we do this, it changes everything. When we understand that what God thinks of us, it changes the way that we see ourselves. And we start, our hearts start changing. We become more like Jesus. It's transformation. It's from the inside to out. Behavior follows belief. We need to see things from God's perspective. It's great what Lindsay was speaking about earlier. It kind of caught it for me. We don't need to worry. God's got it covered so behavior follows belief jesus came to seek and save the lost so back to the story the story from the very start zacchaeus was a man who lived in the city of jericho when jesus came to jericho zacchaeus had an encounter with jesus that changed his life i'll just read verses one to four again jesus entered jericho and was passing through a man was there by the name of zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short and he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. See, Jesus, Zacchaeus, was hoping to see this Jesus, the guy that everybody was talking about. He didn't really know it fully at the time, but he really needed Jesus. If ever there was a man with a, who needed a stronger sense of self-worth, it was probably Zacchaeus because in the four ways that we evaluate ourselves he scored a zero in the first three his appearance was nothing to write home about people literally looked down on him because of his short stature his only achievement in life was ripping people off and cheating them for his own financial gain his approval rating his likes were zero because he collected taxes from the Jews and gave them to the Roman government. Not cool. But at least he was rich. 
Now, to even become a tax collector, you've got to bribe an official. So he was corrupt. He was impure. Then when Rome told you how much you could collect, you had to collect, if you're able to skim a bit more off the top, you could keep the extra. And Zacchaeus was pretty good at extorting money from his fellow Jews. So he ended up being quite wealthy. Now, for a Jewish man to become a Roman tax collector was almost unthinkable. It was high treason. Your family would disown you. You'd be banned from worship in the synagogue, which meant that you were effectively cut off from society. Have you ever been excluded and thought deep down, actually, it was probably my fault? Have you ever been lost? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It wouldn't be a wild guess to assume that Zacchaeus was miserable on the inside. You can't have a guilty conscience and feel good about yourself at the same time. The two just don't fit. And he knew that he was ripping people off. So that would have caused him to lose most of his self-respect over a period of time. Here's a guy who has a lot of money but doesn't like himself. But then an encounter with Jesus transformed his life. What was it that transformed him? Why was he transformed? Because he learned how much he mattered to God. If you take nothing else away from this morning, please understand this, that you, yes you, matter to God. How do we know that we can have hope even when everyone else is going wrong? Because we know that we matter to God. And how do we know that? Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's how we know that we matter. Jesus came to find us. The story about Zacchaeus illustrates three truths. And if you remember these, you should never have problems with how you feel about your self-worth. These are the things that I want to build into my own spirit. This is the assurance that I want my children to take into every situation that they face in life. All the things that are to come, I want them to have this assurance that they matter to God. God's there with them. So truth number one, Jesus notices you. See, it feels rubbish when nobody notices you. But this is what we need to know. I know that Jesus notices me, and I've read about it in the story here. Zacchaeus wanted a glimpse of Jesus, but he was so short that he couldn't see above the crowd. So he did two things that a wealthy Middle Eastern man would never, ever do. One was he ran through the crowd, and two, he climbed a tree. Now, these are the sort of things that little boys would do, but not well-known, important men. So this was culturally quite shocking. But what Jesus did was even more shocking. Jesus walked straight through the city, past the thousands of people, most of them would have been good people, and he walks right past them. And he walks right up to the tree where Zacchaeus, the hated one, is, and he stops there. Verse 5, this is what, he said, what happens. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. Get out your tree, Zacchaeus. That's what he's saying to him. Get out your tree. Why do you think Jesus did that? 
I think it shows that Jesus knew exactly who Zacchaeus was, exactly who he was, and knew his heart, just like he knows my heart, just like he knows your heart. And you might be stuck up a tree today. You might even be out on a limb, if I could stretch the metaphor as far as that. And you might think that God's forgotten you. But in reality, there's never been a time when God's taken his eyes off you. He's seen every breath that you've ever taken. He's felt every thought that you've ever had. He's seen everything that you've ever done. He knows he knows everything that's ever been done to you. God has always had his eyes on you because God really does care about you. Jesus gave Zacchaeus his attention and he did it in public, in front of the same public that despised them. Now, one of the deepest expressions of love is attention. When we give somebody our attention, we're giving them our love. When we don't pay attention to our partner or our kids, they'll take it from you that you're actually being unloving. Jesus gave Zacchaeus his attention. He showed him love. The same love that he shows us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. When my kids do something that they want to be noticed for, they'll say, watch me, Dad. Now, I've got four kids, so this happens at least once a minute. But as adults, we want to be noticed too. And just like children, we don't always do it like with words. Sometimes it's the way we act is designed to get people's attention. Sometimes it's the way we dress is designed to get people's attention. But what we're all doing a lot of the time is shouting, please watch me, somebody, pay attention to me. We're all looking for love. And for our own well-being, it's vital to remember that we need to stop depending on other people to feel worthy and start depending upon God. So believe it. Be secure. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus. Jesus notices you. Your dad loves you. You know it. So truth number one, Jesus notices you. And you are loved. Truth number two. Jesus lifts you up. Here's an interesting thing. Zacchaeus had been ridiculed and rejected. Now my understanding is that the word that's used in Luke's gospel to describe short, it actually translates to a child's body that has not fully grown. So this is how this guy was known. It would be safe to assume that that wasn't meant as a compliment. He'd probably been the target of ridicule most of his life. And actually, when you think it through, being rejected might have had something to do with the fact that he became corrupt and didn't care if he collected taxes from the Jews and gave it to the Romans. Could well have had something to do with it. But Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus in front of this huge crowd and called him by name, which shocked everybody because Jesus knew the name of the biggest scoundrel in town. And in spite of Zacchaeus's obvious sin, everybody knew what Zacchaeus did. Jesus lifted him up while everybody else is putting him down. Jesus lifts us up 
It's what he does. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus knew something that we also need to understand. And it counted for Zacchaeus, and it goes for us too. We are not some sort of mass-produced species, humanity. Just, we're not made just to be like other people. By his own word, by the Bible, we're told we are masterpieces. God's handiwork made unique for good purposes, God's purposes. And this is what Jesus saw when he looked at Zacchaeus, and it's what he sees when he looks at you and me. Like Zacchaeus, we've been hurt, we've been rejected by others, but when we write ourselves off, Jesus writes us back on. He lifts us up. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We get over our hurts and our rejections when we realize that we're special to Jesus. He makes us joint heirs to the kingdom of God with him. <laughs> what? What does that mean? I know, I know, I know it's in Romans 8. I know, I know where it is, but he makes us joint heirs with him. Co-heirs with Christ is how it's put in some versions of the Bible. Co-heirs with Christ. That's how special we are to Jesus. He makes them co-heirs alongside him. So all that is his, because of who he is, because of his position in God, he makes us that. That's the height to which he lifts us up. See, when we say, oh, Jesus lifts us up, it's not as if we've just kind of fallen over, grazed, and then he helps us up. No. He lifts us not just out of the mud and the mire, like the psalmist talks about, like what happened in my own life. I remember when I was in a terrible state, and Jesus comes along and he lifts me up. He cleans me down and gives me a new life. No. He lifts us higher, higher than that, and seats us in heavenly places alongside him. That's how Jesus lifts us up. Now, we know we don't deserve that, but that's how much he loves us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he does. It's who he is. So, where we can't see our value because of all that's happened to us, God sees our value, sometimes in spite of all that's happened to us. So, truth number two, Jesus lifts you up and you are valued. Let's get to truth number three. We're getting through these. But it's exciting stuff. Jesus wants you. What? I know who I am. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. It's all very well using Zacchaeus as a, a fake, as a substitute here. But let's just part Zacchaeus for a minute. Jesus wants me. Jesus wants you. Jesus, Jesus wanted Zacchaeus, and he wanted other people to know it too. Probably one of the hardest things for us to understand is that no matter what we've done in our lives, God still wants to have a personal relationship with us because he loves us. Bruce Ball that I mentioned earlier, he puts it this way. I've got a wee quote here. He says, people made Zacchaeus feel their hatred because he was a cheat and they hated him. So Jesus Christ did something. He didn't just walk up to the tree and look up and notice him. He didn't just call him by name and affirm him in front of all the people that hated him. He invited himself to dinner in Zacchaeus' home. He wanted to be with him. 
he wanted his company. Quite incredible. Verse 7, it says this, And all the people began to mutter, He is going to be the guest of a sinner. Other translations put it, Notorious sinner. He was not liked. People were not happy. And are we so different to Zacchaeus? I don't think it's just because of his stature, by the way, <laughs> that I find it natural to identify with him. We've all done things that have hurt others. But Jesus is more interested in transforming us than he is in condemning us. He knows us. He loves us. And in spite of all we've done, he wants a relationship with us. So truth number three. Jesus wants you. You are wanted. I still remember the morning that I finally came to know Jesus. The morning he found me. I'd spent the night before out of my tree in the non-biblical sense. And I'd been ejected from two different nightclubs. This wasn't going well. Before walking into a prayer meeting at six o'clock that morning. I was fully aware that I had drifted far from being the person I was created to be. I'd known it deep down for some time. I knew I'd hurt others, and I knew I had damaged myself. But I didn't know how to make it stop. I needed help. And what I experienced that day transformed my life, and it transformed me. I experienced forgiveness, acceptance, grace. I experienced Jesus. I was ready to get out of my tree, but this time properly, and come down and leave behind the life and the support that I'd been clinging to and start again with him. What I came to realize was that I hadn't now got religion and another set of rules to live by and fail by, but what I'd entered into was a life-giving relationship, and Jesus was going to walk through it every step with me. What I experienced that day, finally, was peace. And the deep assurance that it was going to all work out. I didn't have all the answers. I still don't. And it's not always easy. But I know, I know that God is with me. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Let's get another slide on. Maybe that's it. Seem to have jumped one. Doesn't matter. God's always in control. Truth one. Jesus notices you. You're loved. Truth two. Jesus lifts you up. You're valued. Truth three. Jesus wants you. You are wanted. If I could build these three truths into my children's lives and into my life, I believe I would have the best foundation to withstand the storms that life throws at me. Because by the way, the storms don't stop when you come to know Jesus, but you do have Jesus with you in the storm. Now, here's the thing, see if I can do this.
if I held up, I've always wanted to do something like this. If I held up a 20 pound note and asked who wanted it, how many of you would say, I do? <laughs> I thought we were in five here. <laughs> Only two hands. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy. Right. See, whoever crumpled it up and I stood on it like that, would you still want it? <laughs> that was Jill was the first one in there. <laughs> would you still want it? Yes. See, why is that? That's because it hasn't lost its original value. That's the point I'm trying to make here. It hasn't lost its original value. Lucky I got paid this week, eh? This, this illustration would have been terrible. Who, who wants 10 bob? Wouldn't it work? There you go, hen. Right, hasn't lost its original value. And that's the thing. That's the important thing. No matter what we've gone through in life before today, God still loves you and wants you because he knows that you haven't lost your original value to him. Oh, come on, that's good news, people. We haven't lost our original value to him. He knows that. He loves us. Oh, yes. Anyway, I'm nearly getting there. I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done. Jesus said this, John 6, 37, says, All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus will never reject you. Never. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He made you, and he still wants you, in spite of the fact that you've rejected him in the past, that I've rejected him in the past, he still wants us. So how do we respond to that kind of God? This is what Zacchaeus says, verse 6, Zacchaeus climbed down quickly and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. I certainly hope that that's how I respond to that invitation from Jesus. Great excitement and joy. He wants to know me. He wants to be with me. He wants to go through life with me. He wants me to be around him. He, I am his. And he is mine. It's a relationship. Right, okay. Zacchaeus took up Jesus on his offer for a relationship. He was transformed, and he was transformed quickly. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He was a new man, a new creation. The old had gone, the new had come. Something had happened in his heart because the most selfish man in the whole city all of a sudden became the most generous man any of them had ever seen. And what happened? He met with Jesus. Jesus Christ and the love of God changed him. That's what happened. Perhaps the band could come up and start getting ready. I'm nearly done. We were made as image bearers of God, image bearers of Christ. We're being conformed into his image. 
And the first step for Zacchaeus was he publicly demonstrated his change of heart, his transformation. He was becoming more like Jesus already. You become like the people you hang around. So that's why relationship with Jesus is so important. Let's have that relationship with Jesus. Let's be in his presence daily. Let's enjoy his presence. What happened was that a man that was consumed and driven by greed was now consumed and driven, not just by something else completely, but by someone else completely. He'd come into a relationship with Jesus. Now, I know that next month there's advertised a baptism service. Now, that's perfect because someone once said that baptism is an outward display of an inward change. It's a public statement that you now belong to Jesus and don't belong anymore to the world. So Jesus knows when we've been terribly hurt in the past. He knows when that hurt is still with us, even today. And he wants us to know that he loves us enough to take that hurt away. He loves you enough to set you free from it. But he also knows the hurts that we have caused others, the guilt that we carry, and the things that we need forgiveness for. And he loves us still, anyway. So I'm going to finish now. But I've got a question. Do you trust Jesus enough to open your heart to him this morning? I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. It doesn't matter whether you've ever responded to an invitation before. If God has been speaking to you this morning, please don't miss this opportunity to hand over control of your life to him. Allow him to come into your life, to forgive your sins, to heal your hearts, and to transform you in his image. Jesus wants you so much to respond to that invitation today. I wonder if we could all stand, please. We're going to say a prayer in a minute. We're going to say a prayer of faith to respond to Jesus' invitation. And if you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and step into a new life and start a new relationship with him, please pray this prayer with us. And I'd ask that everyone else in the room joins me in this prayer also. So let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. Because we know that God is with us now. Jesus is here. He's amongst us even now. Let's close our eyes. Father God, please repeat after me. Father God, thank you that you love me even though I've not loved you. I know that I've lived my life my way and I've left you out. I know that this has stopped me having a friendship with you. Please forgive me for going my own way and doing the wrong things I've done. Thank you, Jesus. You died on the cross came back to life so that I could be forgiven. I commit my life to you because I want to live my life your way. I choose today to follow you and to follow your plan for my life. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior and ask you to send your Holy Spirit help me. This I pray with all my heart in Jesus' name. 
Now, with every eye closed, out of respect for each other and for this holy moment, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and asked Jesus into your heart, or have prayed it after some time away from Jesus but want to make a fresh start, please raise your hand to acknowledge to yourself and before God the decision you've made. Just take another moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, if you've made that decision this morning, please feel free to come and speak to me at the end or to come and speak to Aaron. We've also got gold bags on the table at the back, which will help you in the decision. But please, don't be shy. Please come and have a chat. I'd love to talk to you and encourage you. You've made the best decision you'll ever make in your life. You're heading in a new direction and it all changes from here. So anyway, thank you. Glory to God. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon.